Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Today's visitor to the island is well known to all of you. He won the Irish Amateur Jockeys title 11 times. As a trainer, he won both the Irish and English Grand Nationals. And of course, he's been an integral part of Ortiz racing coverage since the 1980s. It's a pleasure to welcome Ted Walsh. And of course, Ted, you grew up surrounded by horses. Yes, Des, I did indeed. I was born in Formoy, 1950. And uh, my dad and my mam and my uncle Ted, who were always together, uh, bought a pub there in 1946. And my dad left his hometown place in Kildare to set out on his own. And I was born there. And there was always a yard with horses in it. There were dealers and point-to-point people. They bought and sold horses like their father did before them. I grew up in, a, in as you say, in the environment of horses. You, you had great success uh, as an amateur jockey. Yeah, I did, yeah. I had, well, it took a long time to have success now. I started riding when I was 16 and I didn't ride a winner until I was 19. I was three years tipping around riding yokes and coming back in and I didn't mind the first year but after a couple of years <laughs> of it I said to my uncle one day, I said, you know, I'm never going to ride a winner. And he says, you will. And he named out a couple of fellas who couldn't ride at all, who rode winners. And he says, they rode winners. He says, you ride a winner. So I started off riding and then it took off from there. But tell us about it. I mean, it's a it's a tough living. And, and, and as you say, morale-wise, if you're not winning, it can be tough. It's, it's like any sport. There's, uh, there's a great bit of losing in it as well. And it makes you ready for life. I mean, if you're very good, you might win one out of every four rides. And if you're mediocre, you might ride one out of every 20. So you've got to get lo- used to losing. But uh, I was I was wanting I wanted to do you know you're brought up in a in a in a household uh, where there's horses around you and jockeys and things like that and that's what you want to do every every young fella starts off playing hurling in a hurling family or a football family or rugby family I was no different brought up here in in the yard where there was horses and I wanted to ride my uncle rode quite a bit pint of pints and he was very much part of my life my uncle Ted and my dad was too big to ride racing he rode all right he was a fine rider but he never rode racing he was a biggish man six foot one or so and uh, my, my mother's side uh, there were buggies from uh, Gordon uh, Upper Grange between Gordon and Gores Bridge and they were very much involved in horses as well too my grandfather was a blacksmith and uh, my uncle Martin was a blacksmith and they used to shoe horses for the Kerwins uh, the horses would come over to the forge that time and I'd go down there on my holidays and Nicholas Silver, who went on to win the a national in 1961, he'd come over to the forge, a fan called Jimmy Morrissey used to look after him and uh, the late Desi Hughes served his time there and I was reared up in that sort of environment. I always wanted to be one of them, if you know what I mean. Mm. Why stay an amateur jockey? Good question. I don't know. I still don't know at 70 why I did. Uh, I probably was comfortable as an amateur. I was. Everyone kept telling me, oh, you're too heavy. I was 10 stone 7 or 8. Or you want to be nine stone seven to be a professional. But that was a load of codswallop because the amount of horses that win at nine stone seven are very few. But it was kind of built into me. You're going to be too big to be a professional jockey. And I was comfortable. And I was a successful amateur. And I liked this. And I could do sort of more. My father and mother and my uncle Ted probably didn't kick me down that direction either. Uh, they were happy. It was a safer option. I played safe rather than being a bit brave. And that's why when Ruby got around to that stage when he was champion amateur, he said, I would like to be fresh. And I said, you go ahead and do it because you'll regret it if you don't. Yeah. 
and that's I didn't do. I was successful and rode a lot of winners mm. and rode Cheltenham winners and things like that. But uh, I'm sorry I didn't go. I wouldn't have been, might, might have been champion jockey, but I was, would have been good enough to hold me on with the great majority of them anyway. But uh, as you say, you still, as a jockey, had, for instance, those Cheltenham victories. And I know Cheltenham now is very different to then, but how special was a Cheltenham winner back then? A Cheltenham winner was a Cheltenham ride. Was 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 very important to get a, to be asked to go to Cheltenham to ride a horse. I remember the late Tom Draper, who was the dine of Irish jump trainers, coming up to me at Leperstown one day and said to me, uh, "Young man," he says, "Would you like to ride in Cheltenham in two weeks' time?" And I said, "Would I? What? Like, was that going to yeah. fella? Like, would you like to play for Dublin if you were a Dublin <laughs> fella?" I yeah. said, "I'd love to. I couldn't wait. There was no mobile phones. I couldn't wait to ring my father from Leperstown. I was riding in the bumper to tell him that Tom Draper even knew who I was in the first place. But he was asking me to go over and ride a horse called Drop It into Kim Yor. Never forget it. It was brilliant. And I thought it was magic. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. The fact that I had got a ride off of Tom Draper in Cheltenham was ab- that he knew me in the first place was great." And I rode him, didn't do any good, but I had a ride there. I went back the following year and rode a horse that was second in the four mile for Bobby Barry and went back then and rode Castle Rudwig for uh, Peter McCreary a few years later and won the Kim Ewer on him. And then I won a champion chase for Peter as well and rode Proland and uh, rode four winners there. I rode uh, my last winner there for Mouse Morris in the Attitude of Justin, the Fox Hunters. But it was a big deal. It was a big, it's, it's a big deal still. It's not maybe to the top lads. I mean, it's like in any sport, if you're the creme de la creme, you probably expect to be picked for Dublin. But if you're an ordinary Joe and uh, somebody picks you for a team, you think it's great. And I was a very ordinary Joe at the time and I thought it was magic. And of those victories, which one was your favourite? I should the first was great because I thought I'd never ride a winner there yeah. and I suppose the champion chase then the fact that you rode a champion chase winner it's one of the feature races there's the gold cup which is the number one race the champion hurl which is number two or the champion chase which is number three whichever way you want to yeah. put them in priority but they're the three feature races the fact that I was riding in the champion chase and and, and rode a winner uh, of it it's part of part of history it's, it was yeah. it was magic magic fantastic now we come to your first musical choice Ted Walsh it's American Pie by Don McLean. What does this remind you of? We're not a very musical family as such now. I eat, sleep and drink uh, Christy Moore myself. But I'm not, we're not a musical family. But uh, young Ted is probably the only one of us that really would stand up any night and sing a song at a party or a, a bit of a session or if we're having a bit of a celebration or wherever we went. And he's not a bad singer. And he always sings American Pie. And every time... I, I like the way he sings it. I love the way he's not... When he has a few drinks in him, he's a, he's a nice fellow with a few drinks in him. He's not a bousy. And he, he's good in the party. And I think he's a credit to everybody. And he sings this song. And he gets everybody going. And it's a grand song. And it just reminds me of, of we all being in great form. Because it's usually a, a celebration of something. And it's just, it's just something. That the fact that, that he sings it makes it special. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's American Pie and Don McLean, the choice of today's guest, horse race trainer and commentator Ted Walsh. Now, Ted, you've had great success as a trainer and highlights would include the Irish Grand National, obviously. But winning at Aintree and, and your story, it was a story that the Carberries also achieved. But it's these sports stories where a picture tells a thousand words. There's a photograph of your family, you know, and Papillon. Tell us what that meant, winning the, winning the Grand National, basically with the Walsh family. Well, I think the family was the great thing. Uh, we had the horse here for, a, as I call her, my fairy godmother, Betty Moran. Because whenever I needed something, whether I wanted support in the bank to buy something or whether I wanted 
to do anything. Betty Moran was a great woman. She was a friend of my father's and when he died, she stayed here in the yard and she told me to buy a nice horse, she says, for young Ruby to ride uh, when he's when he gets there. So we had a lovely horse in the yard called Papillon and uh, she bought him and kept him here. Usually we were a buying and selling yard. We'd buy horses, get a bit of farm on them and sell them again. Or even owners would send them here to be maybe win a race and go on and sell them. That's how we made our living mm-hmm. as such. And it's a good living. But you always regret maybe selling maybe a star. And Papillon arrived and she kept him. And uh, he was here after winning a hurl race with Brendan Sheridan. Then he won a, a chase with Charlie Swan. And then Ruby came on the scene and Ruby had ridden him. They got around to be the national horse she wasn't anxious for him to run the National because she was reading the press that the National was a very dangerous race and horses were getting killed and jockeys were getting hurt. And the biggest job was to convince her to run. And she was worried about Ruby, the welfare of Ruby more so than the welfare of the horse. But we convinced her to run anyway and we all went. It was our first, not the first time we ever had a runner there. Rock the Prince had run before us. But this was a family affair. Ruby was riding him. He was 20 years of age, just on the scene. Helen and myself went, Katie, Jennifer, Ted... And all our pals, Eddie and Nora, they're from Kildare, uh, Helen's brother and sister, Joe Gibbons, Matt Mitchell, you name it, anyone that was connected, we all headed off to Liverpool. Uh, a big entourage for the day. It was going to be great. But somewhere along the line, it snowballed into being a real fancy horse. From a 33 to 1 shot and a 50 to 1 shot, 10 days before, he was money was coming from him and there was loads of media attention on him. And we watched the race. I... Uh, JP McManus who has a box on the winning line knew it was going to be difficult for Betty Moran to see the race so he said there's a couple of badges bring her up to my box so she could see everything which was typical of him mm. and uh, we went up there and uh, I would stand up on a chair at the back because I could <laughs> I wanted to see it usually I'd make my way up to the top of the hunt stand and get to see it from there because mm. I actually only wanted to see one horse all the way yeah. but I could see him and there's a big screen in front of you and when he passed the winning post after going to circuit he was third or fourth jumping like a stag and I was happy that he'd put up a good performance and then he headed out in the country if he going to be where I am you're looking along and he's going along and it wasn't until he jumped beaches the second time and jumped the canal turn there's about six or seven more to jump I looked at Frank Berry who's a good friend of mine JP's racing manager and he could see as well as me that our horse was bombing yeah. And he just gave me a thumbs up. I was afraid to, I actually was afraid to move, I guess. This was only a dream. And uh, he jumped away, landed in front. And sure, uh, he was over the last couple. And I could remember Crisp getting beat on the run in. Yeah. I could remember the pictures of Devon Locke sitting down on the run up the straight. Loads of horses that had looked winners, yeah. but got beat. And I was probably being negative. I was saying, Jesus, like, this is great. Am I, is this going to really happen? And I didn't really think it was going to happen until he rounded the elbow and Ruby gave him a few smacks because Norman Williamson appeared on his inside on Mealy Moss for a few strides. And I said, Jesus, is he going to empty or going to freeze? And next minute he gave him a few smacks and away he went and he won. There was no feeling, has never been a feeling like it in racing for me or since, or probably never will be. But I was absolutely, I don't know what, I, I couldn't explain it. There is no words for how I felt those aftermath of it and for those few minutes from the time he rounded the elbow it was I don't know it was like the film Awake and Ed your man is lying down the chair and his numbers are coming up on the on the on the television screen he drops dead he never gets around to claim the lotto uh, it was like the same thing it was like everything happening that you wanted to happen to yourself and your family was happening right there because we were all there Jennifer Katie led him up and Ted and we came back in and Ashford went on for uh, weeks 
celebration. Yeah. Sky Television were here because he was a big gamble and they were only interested in the big gamble and the, and the name he had as well. Uh, young Ted had named him Papillon after the film uh, with Steve McQueen. Great picture it was too. And I was just, it was just everything about it. There wasn't one thing about it. Everybody that I, obviously my family who I loved, my brother, my sister Joan, my only sister was there as well and her husband Liam. Everybody that was close to me was there. Hmm. And that's rare now that you could have that you could have the people that you're closest to you, standing alongside you when the best thing in your life is happening to you in racing. I know the birth of my children was bigger and getting married, but this was the biggest thing that could happen to me outside of those personal things. Do you get emotional even now thinking I about do. it? I do, I do, I do. I'm even thinking about it. Yeah. It's just, it's, 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 I was a very, very lucky person. I always consider myself a very lucky person in life, but I was steeped that that happened to me. And to have your son riding it and your wife there standing alongside you and your other children taking part in it, phew, magic, magic. I'm, I'm trying to imagine, because you have to go from the top of the stand now back down to the unsaddling enclosure. I mean, that must have been bedlam. You know something? It wasn't. <laughs> it was magic. Because all you had was fellas patting on the back, yeah. running down, well done. It was, it was, it, mm. I wouldn't t- change anything about it. I didn't think there was bedlam. I didn't think there was chaos. I thought there was nothing. I thought everything was magic, running out to meet him. It's all the things I had hoped that I maybe, uh, somewhere in my life, I might experience here he was experiencing it all, and it was it was magic. Yeah. The confusion, the there was no bedlam. It was just magic. Your second musical choice is family related as well, and an unusual choice when I heard pa- Paolo <laughs> Natini. Uh, Helen is a great. She's a great mother, but she's even a, a terrific grandmother as well. And when Ruby's girls, there's four of them there, three or four of them would come up here, and Jennifer's two little ones had come down, and they'd be there in the kitchen. And even when Jennifer's come in every day, or Ted and Nina's little one. Uh, they're all mad for music. They're all into music. And Helen has the tape of Paolo Natini and 10 out of 10 and she puts it on there in the kitchen and they all dance. The kids, the small ones get up in Helen's arms and she waltzes around the floor with them and they're all there dancing and it's a wonderful sight. And every time I hear the song, if I'm going along in the car and some fella plays it, I just think of happiness and the joy of the girls. I have nine granddaughters and all of them here and they're dancing around and it's Paolo Natini and 10 out of 10. It's just family to me it's just something that I, I it's not a record that I ever heard before Helen started playing it for the kids but it's a grand catchy tune and the kids love it and I love watching them and it's just special Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1 That's 10 out of 10 by Paolo Nettini the choice of today's guest racehorse trainer and commentator Ted Walsh you also had Katie Walsh go close in the Grand National, hadn't you, with Seabass? Seabass uh, was a grand horse. He's belonged to a, a lads from the west of Ireland. There was a syndicate at the minute. And uh, he'd been lucky old horse. He'd won uh, five or six on the trot going to entry. And they were mad to have a runner national. So was I. And uh, he'd won a race with Nace. Ruby would have ridden him if he wasn't claimed by Willie. And we kept it open. But we, Katie had ridden him to win the Leperstown chase. And she'd ridden him uh, to win the good Joe Duggan chase at Limerick at Christmas. She knew him well. She had ridden him a lot, a lot at home. And she had ridden the winners at Cheltenham. She was obvious person to ride him. And she rode him. And he ran brilliantly. I thought for a few strides again, uh, when he jumped the last, just for a few strides, there was a bit question mark about him getting maybe four and a half miles. But it was a good national. I'm not saying Papian's 
was a bad national, but this was a particularly good national. The grey horse of uh, Paul Nichols has won it. That was able to be placed in the Gold Cup and win a lot of grade one races. And he was just too good for him on the day. But he ran super. I was a little bit nervous because Katie being sort of the baby of the family and riding the national. And I must say, Helen myself, that time we got up on the tall stand up to watch it. And the two of them were going out to ride in the national. And I just said, Jesus, is it worth it? Like looking at both of them, at both of them heading down to the first with 40 runners. What Maddie Moran was saying about people getting injured and horses getting killed. Everything flashes through your mind. She's only sort of 23 or 4 years of age and young girl and... I said, are we mad? But anyway, it worked out great. It it would have been, the fairy tale would have been to win a second national. But the fact that she, the horse and herself acquitted himself so well, he jumped like a stag, jumped every step of the way. She gave him a great ride. He just wasn't good enough. He finished third. Mm. And she's the only lady to finish in the money in the national so far. I'm sure one will come and win it. Uh, in the near future, but they have to be lucky enough to have the, the horse. It's, I mean, there's lots of good riders there. Our own Rachel Blackmore would be plenty good enough if she gets a good enough horse, or so would some of the girls in England. Mm. But you have to be the good enough horse. Seabass uh, nearly was that. It was just, it was great. It was nearly being fairy tale stuff as well. Yeah, well, it was still a great, a great finish. But that's the thing I was going to ask you, Ted. When when you see one of your kids get a fall, and Ruby had some horrific falls. Yeah, it's a it's a horrible feeling because the first thing, and it might sound cold, the first thing you want to see is does he move? Because if he moves, it means it's not a head injury or or or, or, or paralysis injury, and that might sound terrible. He's broken his leg, or he's broken his arm, or he's punctured his lung, or he's lost his spleen. All the things which he did do, or, or has a C seven or a C four. As long as he moves. You say, well, he's moving. If it's not too far away, I usually get down and he's on the flat of his back and that I'm there, or Jennifer's there, or Gillian, his wife, is there, and you get the word straight away back, well, he's broken his arm, he's broken his leg, or, as I say, mm. punctured his lung, or done a few ribs, or lost his spleen, or whatever it is. But it's, it's mendable, it's, but it's horrible. And I was always dreading it with Katie as well. Lucky enough, she had little or no injuries. I think she might have fractured her, her, her ankle uh, once at Punchestown and maybe a collarbone, but nothing too bad. Your your television career finally, Ted, it's been extraordinary, hasn't it? How long you've been in television? Yeah, how long? It's extraordinary how long you're there, is right. You're dead right, it's extraordinary. It's, that I've lasted as long as I did. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, Tim O'Connor, who was head of sport, you probably know Tim, mm. uh, he's had a few years now, but he rang me one day to know they uh, do a bit on television, and he liked what I was doing. At that time he was bringing, personally, he had brought in Johnny Giles to do the soccer, and and Dunf- Eamon Dunphy as well, mm. and he was bringing fellas from within the sport to sort of analyse and talk about it. And uh, he uh, saw me interviewed once or twice and got me in to do it. That's 35 years ago now, I was... I'm 70 now. I was probably mm. just 30 then. That's 40 years ago. So, yeah, it's been great. I enjoyed it. I enjoy racing. I lo- loved when early on I was with uh, the late Michael O'Hare and Tony Sweeney and Noel Reid. They've all deceased since. And uh, then the, the younger generation came on, Tony as well, and Robert Hall. And we worked together, Robert and myself. He'd be a friend of mine as well too. I'd communicate with him at least once a week on the phone, talking about different things. And I knew him well. We got on well together. And it was enjoyable. It was nice. And then... Worked with Channel 4 for a long time as well when they were doing Cheltenham. But I enjoyed it. I love racing. I love the sport. I love the lads involved. I know them all well. I know what they kick they get out of when they win and how deflated they are when they get hurt or when their horse breaks down or one thing or the other. Uh, the, the trainers as well. Loads of my pals are training horses. I know how they feel. They go to races with expectation. Their horse might run a stinker and you know they're... It's a long journey home from Downpatrick mm-hmm. to Limerick when one that's after running bad. And uh, I know how they feel. I know how elated they are when the thing comes right. So it's part of 
what I grew up in. Yeah. Your final musical choice, Ted, Christy Moore. I love Christy Moore. I love everything about him. I was said, am I on your looking for songs related to sort of what the family and that kind of thing but Christy Moore to me I've been to many many of his concerts I absolutely adore the way he sings I like Rod Stewart as well but the Christy Moore is my number one man I go at any show if he's on around here local whether he used to be in Goffs there one time across the road and Killishy and in Newbridge there and I went down to see him last year blowing the Dreamland in a tie an old ballroom and I've seen him loads of times in Vicar Street but I love Christy Moore. I love everything. I just, I think he's the most talented man that I ever met anyway because he can he can make a song out of absolutely nothing. And this song means a lot to Helen and myself and I think to a lot of people of our age group who have, we'll say, playing the back nine and have seen their family <laughs> grow up around them. And uh, I think it's, 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 it's a lovely song and beautifully sang by my idea of uh, the greatest Irish singer that I'll ever know anyway. All right, well, we'll play out on Christy Moore and... The song that reflects probably the whole family for, for you, Ted Walsh. Ted Walsh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks a million for joining us. Thank you, Des. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.